0: You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production.
1: Is it real? Oh, yes, it is. A wild coyote in the heart of the city. Anything can happen on the streets of Chicago. (laughs) Just before 2 o'clock, employees at this downtown Quiznos say the coyote simply walked in. And why not? The front door was open.
2: Usually leave our door open so our customers can get air because it's so hot because of the big heater and it just ran in and I was making preways and my co-worker started screaming so I jumped on top of the thing to look over and it was a coyote.
1: He walked in through the front door. (laughs) Then he went around and tried to jump over the soda cooler and just fell back in and he installed himself there.
2: For one hour the
1: coyote sat in the soda cooler. At times it looked (laughs) like he was sleeping, all the while attracting a large crowd of onlookers People armed with cell phones and cameras. There, there he is. Where? Animal care and control arrives using a pole to take the coyote out of the restaurant. In his 12-year career, tourist Derek has taken four coyotes off the city streets, including one last year. At Union Station.
2: Normally they're just scared. They're just like dogs, you know. they usually try to get away from you. They said he was in the nose, and of course I didn't believe it. And then, of course, you see all of this, so, you know. What would you say to the dispatcher when they said Coyote in the Quiznos?
3: 10-4.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back to the Podcast, wherein we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert.
3: I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today, we are talking about the coyote. Ow! <laughs> and we have a special guest a
0: returning guest so
3: we'll talk about that in a minute just a reminder, everybody, go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and on Instagram at at Raman's Podcast, all one word, and at Barman's at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and review. And don't forget we have a Pinterest board that deals with every animal. The link to that is at the end of our show notes. Now, let's get on with today's show. This week, instead of the news segment, we're going to mix it up a little and have a little talk with our returning guest, our very first returning guest, who also happened to be our first guest, and who is an animal expert. Yay! Yay. Woo. Dr. Seth Migley is a director of Urban Wildlife Institute at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Welcome back, welcome, Seth,
1: Seth. Welcome, Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be back.
3: Heck yeah! So why don't you just talk about what you do over at the zoo real quick?
1: Sure. So maybe not a lot of people know this, but increasingly zoos hire scientists. And I am a wildlife biologist, and uh, my job at the zoo is that I direct a research center, which is called the Urban Wildlife Institute. And our goal is to do the science necessary to help people and wildlife to live together in cities.
3: That's Really cool. Are are people having to live more frequently aside animals in cities these days?
1: Yes, they absolutely are. And that's happening for two reasons. One is our cities are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, of course, there's more cities for animals to run into. But two, the longer we build this urban planet, we're giving animals more and more time to adapt to urban spaces and to find a way to live inside of them. And more and more animals are doing just exactly that.
3: Wow, that's... Really interesting. So you guys have a conservation project going on that our fans, we we call our, our show's fans, the VAR Minions. Yes. They are our minions, and we can sick them on your conservation tool. <laughs> so talk a, a little bit about what you're doing with Chicago Wildlife Watch.
1: Oh, man, that would be fantastic because we could really use the help. So one of the ways probably the main way that we study animals in chicago and actually in a lot of other cities too is that we use camera traps so camera traps are just a camera that you set out and if an animal or actually a person or a dog or whatever walks in front of it it takes a picture So we have hundreds of these things set up all around the Chicago metro area, and what that means is we get millions of pictures of animals. Um, The problem, of course, is that for that to be useful data, I need to know what animal is in what picture. So that means someone has to go through all those millions and millions of photos and figure out what are we looking at. Um, So I have two options. Uh, One is that I can underpay interns to probably a criminal degree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the second and I think slightly more attractive option is that I can put them on a website and beg people, uh, beg the public to help me look at these pictures of animals and identify species. And, and so this is a, something that anyone can do. If you have 20 seconds while you're waiting for a bus, um, if the commercials just came on on your favorite show, you can open up your phone, your mobile device, go to ChicagoWildlifeWatch.org. And within seconds, you'll be looking at pictures of city animals, and uh, there's a little guide there to kind of help you figure out what you might be looking at, and uh, often, you might find that you're looking at a coyote.
3: Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. All right, well, we'll include a link to that in our show notes, and trust me, guys, it's really fun. You get into it, and you just, oh, you kind of get addicted a little bit. <laughs> whoa, well, what is it? Is it a, which kind of squirrel is that? <laughs> <laughs> But it is interesting because every time there's a coyote on the screen, you can tell. You can tell it's a coyote and not a dog. It's 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 just obvious. So do that. We'll put a note in the show notes like I said. So, let's all go and learn about coyotes.
1: Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live?
0: Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. <laughs> so it's time to learn about animals. So, we are learning about coyotes or coyotes today. Both pronunciations are correct. The coyote is a canine in the same family as dogs and wolves. There are 19 subspecies of coyote. Most of these subspecies are found in southern Texas, Mexico, and Central America and there are a surprising amount of variations in things like fur color and texture, skull size and tooth size that differentiate these subspecies. They are native to all of North and Central America, and they can survive just about anywhere, even in urban environments, as we just talked about. Coyotes look a whole lot like a medium-sized dog, so depending on the species, like we said, the head and body length is around 35 inches or 89 centimeters, and they can weigh around 30 pounds or 14 kilograms. Again, this depends on the subspecies. There are only about four or five types of domestic dogs that are as fast or faster than a coyote. Wow. The word coyote comes from the Nahuatl word, coyotal, which became coyote in Mexican Spanish, which became one of the many, many, many Spanish loan words in the English language. Alternative English names for the coyote include prairie wolf, brush wolf, cased wolf, little wolf, and American jackal. Huh. Its binomial name is Canis latrans, which translates to barking dog because of the many vocalizations that the coyote produces. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And a group of coyotes is called a band or a pack.
3: <laughs> a band. I'm just picturing a bunch of coyotes.
0: <laughs> yep.
3: Because, you know, they would. All right. So why don't we get Seth to talk first about a little thing called cognition. (laughs) Coyotes brains are pretty advanced and they have some pretty interesting behaviors.
1: Yep, that is absolutely right, Don, and I think that part of the reason that coyotes have been so successful in colonizing our cities and and growing their populations there is that they're really capable of changing their behavior uh, in different circumstances. You see this in the fact that they eat a lot of different foods, and you also see this, for example, in the way that unlike wolves, which have to function in packs, coyotes can function in packs, but they also can function singly. They can function in pairs. They're able to create different types of social structures depending on what kind of resources are available. So that's all pretty amazing. Uh, and they've mastered a number of different behaviors to help them survive, even in giant cities like Los Angeles or Chicago. Uh, for example, they have been seen to look both ways before they cross streets uh, to avoid cars. Wow. Another way they avoid cars is that while in their natural environment, coyotes are what we call crepuscular, meaning they're active at dawn and dusk, primarily. In cities, we see that they're most active in the at the very latest part of the night. Uh, again we think this is to avoid cars because cars are the primary threats uh, to coyotes in cities.
3: Wow, that's amazing. Because we often talk on our show about how it'll feel attractive to think that an animal is not very intelligent because they're constantly being hit by cars but you have to remember that the car is not a part of their natural environment so millions of years of evolution have not taught them to look for cars it's just it's not a thing in their world. But some animals can cross that bridge and and figure out how to deal with it. And apparently coyotes are one of those animals.
1: Yeah, in evolutionary time, they've adapted to cars in a, in a very quick period. Now, that's not to say they are never hit by cars now because they are, but we are starting to see these behaviors cropping up to produce this mortality source. So um, I think it's absolutely, uh, it's a sure thing to say that coyotes are here to stay in our cities in North and Central America.
3: That is really cool. Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> in city environments, urban environments, where do they sleep?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, so they do find these little pockets, um, to sleep in that are relatively unexplored. So I've seen data uh, on coyotes uh, showing that they they will spend their daytime in places like um, yards adjacent to factories. At the zoo, we have a nature area next to the zoo called Nature Boardwalk. Um, It has some pretty good sized shrubs. One day we found a coyote asleep in the middle of this big shrub. There were joggers and, and people walking around within 20 feet of this coyote all day, none of whom saw it. Wow, But they are able to find these little spots, you know, and it could be under a porch, it could be, it could be anywhere, but they really are amazing when you consider how many of them live in cities. It's incredible. They all have to find somewhere to, to sleep throughout the day without being seen and the vast majority of the time they're able to do it. Wow. Do you have
0: an estimate on about how many coyotes are running around Chicago?
1: So I have heard an estimate for Cook County, which is the county that Chicago is seated within, although the county is bigger than Chicago. And that estimate was 3,000 coyotes.
3: That's a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. And, you know, I think it's it's very similar in places like Denver, Los Angeles. Um, coyote populations are very healthy in, in most of these kinds of cities. They've even now started to see uh, a few coyotes on Manhattan, which is crazy to me that they could somehow access the island of Manhattan, but somehow they've managed to do that. So these, they're incredible animals.
3: You know, we have them running down the street in Aurora quite often. Not in the part where I am now, but where I had the old house, we had a, there were coyotes always running through the neighborhood after dusk.
1: So. Well, and I, I can't resist the opportunity to connect this episode to um, one of the ones I did for you guys previously and talk about the fact that in, in your area, Donna, in Aurora, I've done some studies of coyotes and prairie dogs. And one of the things that I found is that near prairie dog colonies, the rate at which coyotes attack people's cats goes way down. Um, our logic being that if they have prairie dogs to eat, they're probably less likely to need to attack people's pets. But that's pretty cool to see that that's kind of a service that the prairie dogs are providing for us. They are giving the coyotes something to eat so that they don't go after, uh, you know, porce or pounce.
3: Yes. Wow. Or fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Today I am going to talk about vocalizations. Back in 1978, there was some research of coyote communication and what those various vocalizations mean, and it was included in a book called Coyotes, Biology, Behavior, and Management. And the man who did this research is called Philip Lehner, I think I'm saying that right, and he noticed 11 types of vocalizations. And if you have a dog, then many of these vocalizations are going to be very familiar, and some of them are a little different. So we have the growl, the huff, the woof, the bark, and the bark howl. All of those are made as threats at different levels of intensity. Barks and bark howls are really interesting because these serve in saying, I'm here and here's how I'm feeling. And those allow listening coyotes to recognize if those individuals are family or strangers. A coyote recognizing an individual by their howl isn't really about the howling coyote shouting his own name again and again. (laughs) It's more like how we can recognize a family member or friend by the sound of their voice no matter what they're saying because of their unique pitch, their cadence, and even their accent. Whines and yelps are used to express submission. And then there are three different kinds of howls. The lone howl and the group howl is used to announce one's location to others in their social groups, and the most recognizable one probably is the group Yip Howl. And this is what coyotes are really known for, and it sounds like this. <laughs> Good heavens. So that group yip call is sent up when coyotes reunite or just before they separate to go off hunting individually. Also, if you are camping like I was one time, it sounds terrifying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Among other things, the chorus tells any nearby coyote packs about whose turf this is and thus so that keeps the other coyotes away. It also reveals or hides how many coyotes are in the area and two or three coyotes howling together can sound like a pack of six or more coyotes. So what this does is it keeps predators away and it may also help regulate the coyotes' reproductive rate.
3: I wonder how it would do that.
0: So what I read was female coyotes based on this group Yip Howl, can tell or sort of deduce how many coyotes might be in the area. If there's a large population of coyotes, that female will only produce a litter of maybe two babies. But if she senses that there's not very many coyotes, her litter will be larger. Hmm. Interesting.
1: But it is cool that there there are a number of different species that have this evident ability to modify their reproduction based on resource availability. And sometimes it relates to how many offspring they have, but sometimes it can also relate to whether they have male or female offspring. I know that in some species, um, it's generally thought that um, since males have highly variable reproductive output, they either have a lot of offspring or they have none you would want to have males when resources are are really good and you can really invest in them. And when resources are more scarce, you want to have more females who are kind of the safer bet uh, as far as uh, continuing to propagate your genes.
3: Ah, interesting. That is amazing. Nature. 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 I know, it's crazy.
0: (laughs) Nature is
2: crazy.
3: Nature is crazy. Go home, you're drunk. (laughs)
2: Disclaimer time. The farmers Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway.
3: Ah, oh, Chris, he's so sad. <laughs> he always sounds <laughs> so <know>. sad.
0: <laughs> we're going to do it anyway.
3: <laughs> we're going to do it anyway because we're just like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The intelligence of a coyote. What do you say, Seth?
1: Man, they're smart. Um, I think that they're way smarter than, than most of their canids. You know, I think foxes are pretty amazing, but I think coyotes are smarter. I think I'm going to go eight. Oh, wow.
3: That's where I was going to go as well. Like eight, nine, somewhere yeah. in there. Smarty pants. I, I don't know. They're, they they do not use tools that I've been able to find. Um, and we know ravens do. So ravens and crows are maybe a little tiny bit smarter or at least on our on our arbitrary scale, that's where I'm mentally kind of putting them. Like the coyote would be like eight when a raven would be like 8.5 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just that the difference between nine, and 10 is much bigger than the difference between any of the other numbers in our scale. Like, we fully, we're fully, we fully aware that 10 means you're stupid enough to, like, destroy your whole <laughs> thing. You know? So, you know, you have to be incredibly smart to be able to do that. And so, so but I would say, yeah, 8.5.
0: Yeah, I'll go along with 8. I think what I saw was much like Wolves they problem solve. If they run into an obstacle, they'll almost immediately get together and try to fix it. Whereas a domestic dog will sort of fight with it alone
1: and maybe solve it, maybe give up. Can I, can I tell a story real quick? Please do. Yes. So this is from, this is also from Aurora. This is from Donna's neck of the woods. I was working um, in a little patch of land where There was a coyote there and he or she had developed an interesting strategy where when people would come to this uh, big nature area and let their dogs off leash, this coyote would approach the dog and sort of make a play bow and try to get the dog to follow him. And he would ultimately try to get the dogs to follow him off into some trees where there were three other coyotes waiting um, where they would attack these people's dogs. So I started warning people who brought their dogs off leash into this park about this strategy, but it does kind of illustrate that they can come up with some interesting um, approaches to finding their lunch.
3: Wow. That is crazy. Well, I was going to say also that dogs have outsourced a lot of their problem solving to us. (laughs)
0: You know, <laughs> That's true. They
3: they they're like, all right, you're going to control our breeding, but you're also going to feed us all the time, which is a bonus. <laughs> and also, you have thumbs, so <laughs> we're just going to farm out some of this problem solving to you, giant pink monkeys.
1: Yeah, but they didn't they didn't know we were going to then put them in silly costumes.
3: No, but I mean, I don't think that they object that much as long as there's a sofa and some food yeah. at the end of the day. So you know,
2: also.
3: A group of three chihuahuas sounds like 70 chihuahuas when they're all howling. (laughs) I know this personally.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to talk about more coyotes and pop culture and a couple other things. But we're going to do that right after this. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds.
3: Fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds,
0: it's, it's a podcast, podcast.
3: It just for the halibut. of it, <laughs> fried in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish
0: nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. it's a podcast.
2: Yeah,
3: it is. <laughs>
0: Well, this here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. You know, Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild. But so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. So one of us has to talk about Wiley e. Coyote.
3: And that someone is you.
0: That someone is me. so Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner are characters from the Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies series of cartoons they are my favorite duo by far I love Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner the premise is very simple Wile E. Coyote attempts to catch and eat the Roadrunner but rather than rely on instinct it builds elaborate traps and devices which, spoiler alert, always fail (laughs) now I did not know this before I did the research, did you know that there were laws and rules that the writers and artists had to adhere to?
3: I don't know if I knew that. What do you mean?
0: So there were eight rules. Rule number one: the Roadrunner cannot harm the Coyote except by going.
3: Me me. Good. <laughs> he also stuck his tongue out. <laughs> oh, that's right,
0: meep, he meep. did. <laughs> so that's rule number one. Rule number two. No outside force can harm the coyote. Only his own ineptitude or the failure of the Acme products, which leads to... (laughs) Number three, all materials, weapons, or mechanical devices had to be obtained from the Acme Corporation. Right. Number four, no dialogue ever. Right. All of the sounds in the short films are a combination of music and sound effects. Number five, the roadrunner must stay on the road at all times. Hmm. Number six, all the action must be confined to the natural environment of both the Coyote and the Roadrunner, and that is the Southwest American Desert. Right. Number seven, whenever possible, make gravity the Coyote's greatest enemy. (laughs) So there was a lot of him falling off of extremely high cliffs and then just disappearing into a poof on the bottom.
3: Uh, Yes.
0: (laughs) And number eight, I love this one. The coyote is always more humiliated than harmed by his failures. (laughs) So in this little segment of the cartoon, I'm going to explain it to you because like I said, there's really no dialogue. So Wiley has purchased a large spring from Acme and he's attached it to a boulder and he's compressing it with his body. So the idea is that when the roadrunner runs by, the spring will launch him at a greater speed than the roadrunner and he can catch him. The roadrunner runs by, beep, beep, and Wiley launches himself after the Roadrunner and off of a cliff, of course. He hits the ground in a poof of dust, and the boulder follows him down and squishes him, so here's what that sounds like.
1: Didn't they occasionally hold up signs with like a word or two on them?
0: Yes. 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 I think in the clip I just played, the Roadrunner was at the bottom of the cliff and he held up a sign that said, have mercy or something like that. And then the boulder squished him. So the coyote's name is Wile, and then the middle initial E. And of course that's a pun Mm -hmm. of the word Wiley, which this coyote is definitely not in one issue of a Looney Tunes comic book it is revealed that the E stands for Ethelbert. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, there are toys, um, comic books, and video games based on Wile e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. And uh, it's fun. I love this cartoon so much.
3: Do you remember the theme song? Roadrunner, the coyotes after you.
0: <laughs> Roadrunner,
3: right. if he catches you, you're through. <laughs>
0: Remember? I do remember it now. That
3: coyote is really a crazy coyote. Gosh. Do, 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 you
0: jogged a brain cell that I haven't used in decades. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, if I can push my ecology nerd glasses up on my ecology nerd nose for a second. <laughs> Please. I think it's really interesting that so the, the the cartoon has to be set in the American Southwest. And that is kind of traditionally where we think that the, the coyotes were most abundant is in those arid areas like deserts and short grass prairie. But then, of course... What did we do? We did two things. We cut down all the trees for agriculture and we killed all the wolves. So we created this massive opportunity for, for these coyotes to really spread out across the continent in a way that they couldn't before. And that's part of, I think, why they are so abundant now is we essentially transform the landscape to look a little bit more like it looks in those cartoons.
3: Huh. Neat stuff. All right, Seth, why don't you talk about your pop culture thing, which you were personally involved with.
1: Yeah, I wanted to tell you guys about a pretty cool project. I was approached some years ago by some some students, some, I believe they're film students, and specifically these are students who uh, have mastered the art of shadow puppetry, and uh, they wanted to tell a story with shadow puppets about a coyote who was trying to make a living in Chicago, about an urban animal and you know when I interviewed with them I really didn't know if it was gonna be something kind of silly like kind of like the story you guys played about the one that sat down in the beverage cooler in the Quiznos. Um (laughs) but I, I did this little interview and I didn't really think too much of it. And then when they eventually came out with their final project, I was I was personally just really amazed at at what an incredible uh what an incredible window they provided us into the lives of these urban animals so I I would urge your listeners to check it out it's at chicagolandfilm.net yep and there's
3: no dialogue right
1: yeah that's right there's music but there's there's no dialogue it's it's not a cartoonish depiction of an urban coyote it really is a, a relatively realistic depiction of of an urban coyote
0: very cool yeah we'll put a link to that in the show notes
3: yes it is really really neat really neat and i'm sorry there's not too much to talk about it with that that's really all there is but we really want you to watch and support this this student film and and uh, the artists who made it if possible find out what else they're doing and take a look at it because that's some pretty talented people yeah all right well i'm going to briefly talk about the character of coyote in uh, native american mythology the coyote is a major mythological figure for most native american tribes but especially those who are west of the mississippi and like real coyotes mythological coyotes are usually notable for their crafty intelligence stealth and voracious appetite however american indian coyote characters vary widely from tribe to tribe and in some of their myths. He's a revered culture hero who creates, teaches, helps humans, and in others he's a sort of anti-hero who demonstrates the dangers of negative behaviors. And in others he's a comic character who's a trickster whose lack of wisdom gets him into trouble while his cleverness gets him back out of trouble. And in some coyote stories he's even a combination of all three of them at once. In the Pueblo tribes, the coyote was believed to have hunting medicine. Zuni hunters kept stone effigies of coyotes as one of their six hunting fetishes associating coyotes with the west and the color blue. Coyotes are also used as clan animals in some Native American cultures. Tribes with coyote clans include, and I cannot pronounce this, so I'm so sorry. I think it's the Kaihuia tribe, the Mojave, and the Hopi and uh, the zuni and then a couple of other pueblo tribes in new mexico some tribes such as the pomo also had coyote dance among their tribal dance traditions so really interesting animal i'm gonna leave a show note for you guys to connect you to the website where you can find a bunch of these different stories from all sorts of different native american tribes so I'm going to leave a note, but it's native-languages.org, and you can go there and find out things about American Indian cultures that you never knew. Any question that you have, you can pretty much find the answer there. And I've been using this site for years for various things about Native Americans, so uh, it's one that I trust and admire immensely. We're going to listen to a very short recording of a man called Lawrence Aripa, who was born in 1926 on the Coeur d'Alene Reservation in Idaho. His family was living in that area for a long, long time, and his most of his stories come from his great-grandfather. As a young kid, he remembers listening to the stories of his great-grandmothers, and he carried that tradition on into his life. He was, had a really colorful, interesting life. He was a signalman in World War II and just all sorts of stuff going on. But he sort of made it a goal to pass on the storytelling and the traditions of his own tribe to other people. And so he would narrate his tales to various audiences of various ages for most of his life, I guess. And um, so six of his favorite stories are included in a book called Stories That Make the World. And... There's another book called Landscape Traveled by Coyote and Crane, The World of the uh, Shitsuma. Shitsuma? I cannot pronounce. I'm so sorry. I can't <laughs> pronounce these tribes at all. I really can't. I just My tongue is like, no! I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so this guy was really wonderful, and he has unfortunately passed on now, but there is a couple of different websites. Places that you can go to read about him and the things that he did, and we're going to listen to him as quite an old man telling a little story right now, and we we just won't uh, are talking right now.
2: My name is Lawrence Aripa. A long time ago, the Indian people didn't have any way to teach the children besides. Uh, by doing what they, uh, by following what the parents do in order to learn. So they didn't have books, they didn't have any uh, um, uh, written language, so they used the coyote to teach the children. And uh, the stories about the coyote always has a moral to it. And it teaches them what is right, what is wrong, or it, it tells about us how something happened, how uh, uh, something came to be that we see now.
3: Really neat, really neat guy. He did a lot of really cool things and was a really fun storyteller. And during the video, they have little clips of tribal dances related to the story that he's talking about that will be in the little video in the upper right corner and sometimes music and stuff and it's really really good little video i enjoyed it immensely
0: mommy what's for dinner it's the elbow of a snake (laughs) mommy (laughs) i can't (laughs) eat that
2: well would you eat that
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think i know the answer but are you two gonna eat coyote anytime soon
3: no, thank
1: you for me. I'm gonna nerd out just for a minute again to say that I could list an alarming number of diseases and parasites that coyotes carry, so that's a great big no for me.
0: That's a great big no. <laughs> <laughs>
3: What's an alarming number? just out of curiosity? I don't
1: I don't know exactly how many they carry, but they're just so numerous, um, yeah, relatively big, and they range across such a wide area that you know it's everything from lepto to mange to rabies. Oh. To, um, all different kinds of tapeworms and yeah, Ugh. you don't, you don't want, you don't want to go there.
0: Okay. I think yeah. one, I think <laughs> one is enough.
1: Having been relatively close to some while they were being live trapped, they're almost always completely coated in fleas.
0: Oh, good Lord.
3: <laughs> uh, but the question is, do they have anal glands? Cause that's going to be, <laughs> it the... doesn't
0: matter with a coyote. <laughs> it, it does not matter. So yeah, of course I wouldn't eat them, and I didn't find any real evidence that anybody was eating them, so that's going to bring me to the animal fact of the week. Let me play the sound clip.
1: Well, hello, Paula
0: Donna. I've been meaning to ask you, <laughs> is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night, or just sound smarter than the rest of the room, with the animal fact of the week. Back to you, amigos. This is the bummer part of the episode, and I'd like you to, to speak to it, Seth, if you can. Um, so I just want to say that I have no problem with legal, responsible, sustainable hunting and fishing. That's fine. When I was looking up coyote vocalizations on YouTube, there were a ton of coyote hunting videos, like a, an alarming amount of coyote hunting videos. I looked into that a little bit further, and I found out that the main reason for hunting them is is not for their pelt it's not to eat them but it's population control and there's a ton of them so there's also a mentality of let's go just shoot some coyotes because they're fun to hunt which to me is not hunting coyotes it's just killing them so i'd love for you to to comment on that seth
1: yeah, you know, I I think that um, I know that they do cause a significant amount of da- of damage to livestock. I think they are kind of the major predators anymore on things like um, sheep and and goats and things of that nature. Um, and in a lot of places, the the legislate the laws regarding them really are, as the as the title of your podcast indicates, that they are legislated as as vermin as varmints. As- as animals that are to be killed. And there are there are bounties on, there have at least historically been bounties on them in many cases. And, you know, I, as I said at the beginning, my, my mission is to help people in wildlife to coexist. And I'm not one of those people who thinks that we never are going to need to lethally control some species or another. I think that at times that's going to be the appropriate response to a situation if humans are in danger or if we just can't have an animal in a certain location, that there may be times when when we need to do something really serious to, to remove that animal from that situation. But I think that a lot of the time uh, we resort to hunting, killing, euthanasia, when the reality is we can we can live with these species. And as recently as, you know, probably 10 or 20 years ago, people were saying, oh, we, we can't live with these coyotes in our cities. We just can't do it. It's too much of a hazard. They're just too dangerous. But now we've come to realize that the reality is most of the time we, we really can Most of the time, they don't want anything to do with us, even when they live right where we live. Um, So, yeah, I think that the the answer, there's no easy answer to your question. It's a very complicated topic. But I would argue that in many cases, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to find ways to live with these coyotes and to learn about them so that we understand what it is that causes them to take certain actions that we find objectionable so that we can change our behavior uh, to, to remove those kinds of outcomes.
3: On that note, you were talking earlier about how they might be able to plan how many babies they have based on the resources that are available. I was watching a documentary where they talked about controlling coyotes through sterilization programs, and a lot of people uh, think that that's absurd, but there's some evidence that if you control them by sterilization, then you're actually tapping into that part of them that says oh we just we shouldn't have so many babies you know for some reason and it seems to be helping they don't have to kill quite as many of them or whatever in the places where where the research has been done about sterilizing them because they're just trying to adapt their how they act toward the coyotes Differently so that they're not going after livestock and stuff. So the idea is they're gonna go after livestock if there's nothing else to eat So there needs to be fewer coyotes So you sterilize them and you just sort of intervene to make sure that there are fewer coyotes Then there's better resources for the ones that are left and you have a living side-by-side. Okay kind of thing so um, I don't I don't know that anybody's arrived at a final absolute solution that's gonna work in every situation, but uh, there are alternatives and and a uh, uh, couple of uh, there's more than a few ranchers that are trying them out so
0: and i think any other solution is better than just killing them and leaving them in a prairie to just rot like uh, that really doesn't sit well with me
1: Well, and and I always try to make the point that even if we remove the ethics of killing animals and and we take out the fact that it's sort of gross to just kill animals, it's never a permanent solution. If you're just killing animals that are engaging in some behavior you don't like, more animals are going to come along and engage in that same behavior, and you have locked yourself into an endless pattern of having to control these species. Whereas if you can get at the root causes of why they're doing the thing you don't like and change that, that's a permanent solution.
3: This was interesting. The Urban Coyote Research Program, which is in Ohio, have found that, contrary to a lot of the sensationalistic reporting that we see all the time, that despite the fact that coyotes will occasionally go after a dog if they're way habituated and hungry, or they will go after neighborhood cats at the first opportunity, that after they collected the data, they found that. They analyzed over 1,400 scats and found that the most common food items were small rodents, 42%, fruit, 23%, deer, 22%, and rabbit at 18%, and only about 2% of the scats had human garbage, and just 1.3% showed evidence of cats. So that's pretty good evidence that they're not focusing on um, our domestic animals or are garbage cans as a main place where they go to get their food. That's not where they're going to go first. They're going to, they said that the information aligns logically with their preference for sticking to parks, preserves, cemeteries, and other out-of-the-way areas as much as they can. And the food that's available in these locations is rodents, reptiles, fallen fruit, and other food items that are part of their natural diet. I found that was pretty interesting. They're not, they're not, Trash, trash dogs. They, they are. <laughs> they're, they're. If a t- coyote's raiding your garbage or attacking your pets, it's probably because there's not enough of the regular food sources that they're used to getting where they are. And uh, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, that project has been going on for a long time, and it's and it's very cool. And yes, it's it's extremely good news that they're not raccoons right they're not they're not little trash pandas but um (laughs) you know then i think we need to think about the fact that we have you know if we're wondering why we have so many coyotes we should think about the fact that well you know we built a world full of front and back yards which then created a world full of rabbits and you know as long as we continue to make decisions like this things are going to come along to to eat all of that fresh meat that we put on the landscape so again you know if we get to the root causes of of why these animals are here it, it really answers um Answers a lot of our questions, but uh, for the most part, we're not—we don't really need those rats and squirrels and rabbits, and we're perfectly happy to uh, let the coyotes help us out with those. So it kind of all works out.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yep. you just gotta just expect they're gonna be there and keep an eye on your bets. Yep. And keep keep your cat inside, you know.
1: Yes, please do that.
3: Keep a little romper room kitty area so that they have place to hang out and exercise, and just keep them in. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, I have a fact that I usually like to bring out around Valentine's Day, and that is that genetic studies have found that coyotes are extremely monogamous. And uh, almost never do they find that the offspring of a female were sired by anyone other than her her male that she spends her time with, which is, you know, pretty sweet and romantic.
3: Aw. Aw, romantic coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fun. That is neat. Why Why do you suppose that would be a better solution for them? Is it just they've had better survival rates that way? or?
1: You know, I'm honestly not sure. I, I think that even evolutionary biologists are still not really sure when it's most advantageous for, for species to be monogamous versus uh, polygamous. And often we need the genetics because... I know with a lot of bird species, for example, they'll look very monogamous and like, oh yeah, that couple is together for life. And then you test the the offspring, and oh, nope, that was that was a different male who just passed through for a couple minutes and snuck in there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really know yeah. exactly. You know, they they do. Um, Their young are born pretty, um, pretty what we call altricial, meaning pretty helpless. So they definitely need some parental care for a little while. Um, and sometimes I think that means you need a stronger pair bond. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not quite sure why they're, uh, so very monogamous, but they, they do seem to have this interesting behavior.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, that is
3: some interesting stuff for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much, Seth, for coming back again, despite us. That's really, really awesome. And we appreciate you uh, joining us
1: today. Yeah. I always have a lot of fun and we'll have to think of some third animal for me to come talk about with you guys. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, for sure.
3: <laughs> it just has to be an animal that you make me aware that you know a lot about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you, everybody, again for listening. This podcast is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, music by Kevin McLeod. Our voice talent today was Justine in Santiago, Chris Brayton, Stacy and Frosty, Curtis Craddock, and Chris Green. Risky Cawthon is our acme sales representative real quick i want to thank all the patreon supporters this content will always be free to everybody and we appreciate you guys kicking in money anyway all that money goes right back into the podcast for hosting fees and merch and all sorts of good stuff so thank you thank you thank you very much for supporting us through patreon patreon.com slash varmints
3: yay now it's time for the rugrat corner if you have a child who is eight years of age or younger who wants to be a part of our Rugrat Corner, give us a little note at varminspodcast at gmail.com or contact us through our Facebook group and we will find a way to put them on the show and you will enjoy it very much. Now, who's our Rugrat this week?
0: Well, Chris Brayton, who we mentioned from the More Gooder Than podcast, has a couple of delightful little girls and I don't know which one this is, but she has something to say about coyotes.
3: Excellent. Hi, Vart Minions. I want to talk to you today <laughs> about coyotes. Coyotes are known for their howl.
1: <laughs> and they
3: live across <laughs> North America. And some, and, and they like to eat meat. Sometimes they eat vegetables. <laughs> They're really... <laughs> fast, and real smart, and I like coyotes. Nice. Well, we like them too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cute. That's ridiculous. Uh, We just need to hand this show over to the kids and just go on (laughs)
0: vacation.
3: Go be cute. They would do great. Take it away.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks again for listening, and until next time,
1: be nice to animals.
0: Do it.
3: You know you want to.
1: You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production.
0: Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.